In today's episode, the Refried Reviewers take on Buddhism the movie. That's right, it's Groundhog Day. <laughs> I'm John. I'm JP. And just like I said, we are going to be talking about uh, Groundhog Day, 1993 Bill Murray vehicle. And uh, interesting kind of transitional thing for Bill Murray. Um, you know, something that uh, you can kind of see, you know, the whole Wes Anderson, Lost in Translation Bill Murray kind of lurking underneath manic Saturday Night Live Bill Murray in this movie. Right, starting um, to stir in more and more melancholy. <laughs> yeah, he's just, he's getting a little sad here, and he's going to become the sad man in like, give him like six more years america and he's uh he's gonna break your heart yeah and um, some flowers <laughs> yeah did he uh <laughs> fuck you um, <laughs> did he do anything i mean after between this and like lost in translation um well he did ten and bombs before that mm-hmm. um was he in rushmore yeah okay i mean rushmore was like almost his most iconic version of that character because it oh, focused yeah, so much he's, on him yeah he's, he's it the was dude. just he's him the and max guy. fisher yeah, yeah. I, I completely forgot. I haven't seen Rushmore in forever. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not really... Uh, the only Wes Anderson movie I think I really like know, know is The uh, Life Aquatic, okay. which you know I know everybody kind of regards as one of his, his uh, lesser films. Um, and I like it, but uh, it's actually something... I was reading the Roger Ebert Great Movies review of Groundhog Day, because uh-huh. I always like to kind of take a look at what Roger Ebert has to say about stuff, because he's smarter than we are. Yes. Um, even dead. He's uh. still smarter. <laughs> um, and one thing he said was that, you know, part of what makes Groundhog Day work so well is that um, at the beginning, Phil Connors is just a jerk. Like, he doesn't do anything over the top. He's not, like, sadistic. He's not gleeful about it. He just is kind of an asshole. He's not a villain. Yeah, he's not a villain. Um, and so he has somewhere to go at the end. And he said, like, the Life Aquatic doesn't work because... Um, he, oh no, that's, that's not what he said. He says that, uh, you know, he's surrounded by something nicer than him. So he has something to kind of push against. Mm -hmm. But the problem with the life aquatic is that the whole universe is as melancholy as he is. Yeah. Also being that that entire movie takes place out at sea. Yeah. Wes Anderson usually does have a slight tweaked reality fish out of water feel to it. So if all your characters are weirdos and they're the only characters out in the middle Mm -hmm. of nowhere, then I can see how how people sort of would take issue with that. Yeah. I mean, I mean, even going back to bottle rocket, like his movies tend to be about these kind of misfits who have created their own worlds for themselves. Yeah. And just the way that, you know, people who don't fit in kind of make a normal, and yeah, like if you're just on a boat out in the middle of nowhere, plus like Steve Zissou is pretty universally like adored in that movie. Mm-hmm. Um, everybody kind of thinks he's the greatest. And so, you know, and, it, and don't get me wrong, I really like The Life Aquatic. Like, I mean, it's it's really, really good. And it's got my favorite, one of my favorite shots of all time is that handheld shot. Um, spoilers for uh, for The Life Aquatic with Steve Zissou <laughs> um, after the helicopter crashes with Owen Wilson in it. Mm hmm and uh steve is in the water with owen and like he's holding him we don't know how bad it is and there's that handheld shot like right at level with the water and then you just see like one drop of blood show up on the camera lens and it's it's i remember first seeing it being like is that some blood oh that's probably just something that happened on the day and then you see a little bit more blood and you start seeing oh wait like he's in a lot of trouble and the way that's revealed through that is just some of the most brilliant filmmaking i've ever seen Mm. um really really good stuff but we're not here to talk about the life (laughs) we're here to talk about uh groundhog day which it sounds like you were way more familiar with than me yeah i mean i remember seeing it in theaters and like having the vhs tape i probably haven't seen it in 10 years easily but i i did like it a lot as a kid and had seen it more than a few times yeah i i think i saw it once like way way back in the day um probably like early college late high school when everybody's saying oh yeah this is actually there's a whole lot to this movie you Mm -hmm. you should sit down and watch it and uh you know i i liked it and i remember really liking it and it was one of those movies uh where i really enjoyed it and said you know i'm gonna revisit this all the time and then i never watched it again (laughs) um and i feel bad about that um and so i thought you know since now we're kind of forcing ourselves to do that (laughs) which is great um i thought i'd revisit it now and god i'm glad i did because it's 
fucking fantastic. Yeah, definitely. Like, it might be the best comedy ever made. <laughs> like, I say that without hyperbole. I think it might be the best comedy. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, it certainly takes something very high concept and just executes on it brilliantly in a in sort of a way that it doesn't require a ton of explanation or anything. Like, it was just so well made that you sort of go with it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And since the whole journey is kind of internal to Phil Connor's character, it's not, uh, you know, something that requires a lot of explanation. Like, it's just sort of a magical realism thing. Like, no, he's stuck in a fucking time loop. Don't worry about it. Mm -hmm. Like, now you're concerned, since they didn't explain it at all, your concern isn't, oh, how's he going to find, like, the magical gemstone that breaks him, that breaks the <laughs> spell or whatever. It's just, no, like, this is just happening to him. Now what's going to happen to him internally as a result of this force? Mm -hmm. And that, you know, it, it really is just a case of, like, take an interesting character and then exert this one force on him for years and then watch what happens to him. I do feel like there are fewer movies these days than there were then of just, like, what if this fucked up thing happened to somebody? Oh, and yeah. like, how would they deal with it over the course of a couple hours? Oh, yeah, totally. Why it's, it happened, it doesn't really matter. It's yeah. about the story. <laughs> yeah, and it's something that, that I, I thought about, you know, they uh, a lot of the, the movie kind of struck me as, oh, they wouldn't do this now. Like, he'd be way more of a dickhead if they made that movie now. Mm -hmm. um, he'd be played by Vince Vaughn. Um, <laughs> he'd, uh, you know, he'd, he'd do something kind of over the top and mean um, instead of just existing as kind of an asshole um, like mm -hmm. he does at the beginning of the film. Um, which is oh God, the beginning works so well. So, so I, I'll, I'll, I'll talk a little bit about the, the kind of what happens. Um, I guess we start um, just in Pittsburgh um, with the obligatory '90s helicopter shots in a comedy. <laughs> Every comedy in the '90s, you had a fuck ton of helicopter shots. Yeah. For some reason, that was just what we did back then. It was a different time, people. You felt established. Yeah, I certainly felt established. <laughs> um, and yeah, he's he's uh, he's about to go cover. Uh, the Groundhog Day groundhogging um, in Puxatawney, Pennsylvania. Um, Phil Connors is, and he's taking his cameraman Larry, played by Chris Elliott, um, mm -hmm. who I just root for. Yeah. I love that guy. <laughs> I had a whole conversation earlier today about whether or not Chris Elliott's funny. And if you don't think Chris <laughs> Elliott's funny, fuck you. <laughs> I said it. Um, turn this off. I don't want you to listen. But if you do think Chris Elliott's funny, hang out. We're buddies. Um, Thumbs up. Yeah. Uh, and then he's got uh, Andy McDowell uh, playing Rita, the producer. And if you don't like Andy McDowell, that's actually okay. Um, yeah. <laughs> she's uh, she's not bringing a lot to the table. It's fine. <laughs> like, she's not terrible. Like, if you do like her, that's cool, too. But if you don't, yeah, it's fine. She uh, doesn't sabotage it. She doesn't She doesn't sink the movie, <laughs> but she's not bailing it out either. <laughs> she's kind of just sitting there panicking about the water. Not that there is any water, because this movie is watertight. Mm -hmm. um, he said, further torturing the metaphor. Um, so they're, they're going to Puxatawney, and basically, they go, and... Um, it's your stand. He's like I said. He's just kind of a jerk the whole time. He's never a huge asshole. He's not insufferable, but he's kind of. You can tell he, he he's complex because you can tell he's an egocentrist. Like he's very concerned with himself, but you can also tell that he kind of doesn't like himself that much. Mm -hmm. And all he really has is this sort of casual cruelty and this persona he's built up about being a weatherman, and like that's all he has. So he exploits it when he can, but he's also you know kind of ashamed of it. And also, like they, they sort of key in a little bit to the the idea of Groundhog Day being, in, he he's kind of a jester in coming to terms with that, and this event, something that like you know is just superstition more than anything else, and mm -hmm. he has to make this annual pilgrimage and act like it's a really big deal, yeah. and so I, I feel like they, it really sort of brings out in his face what his life is. Yeah, that yeah. like this is his big event of the year, and it's probably something that he doesn't even want to do. Yeah, this this is all I am right now. Right. Yeah, and you know to to further the Buddhism analogy because this is, I mean it's not just me. Like this is Buddhism, the movie, right? Oh, I mean it's got the reincarnation vibe and all kinds of yeah, you know um, yeah, the endless cycle and all that. Yeah, yeah and the totally. way he goes through, and we'll we'll talk about each stage of his attachment kind of falling away as he goes, because he goes through all these different like coping strategies, and that's one of my favorite things about it is we just watch him deal in all these different ways with what's happening to him. Um, but uh, you know, to further the Buddhism thing, like he's all ego here, and he's. You know, he doesn't really, he hasn't gotten in touch with his true self to figure out, like, that he doesn't have one. Um, all he is is just sort of this thing he's built up in his mind, like I said. Um, so they go to Puxatawney, 
and uh, they check into they check him into this cute little bread and uh, bed and breakfast. Um, and he goes down and he does the day. Uh, they try to leave Puxatawney, but they can't leave because there's a snowstorm. Um, and he ends up going back and then he wakes up the next day and it's Groundhog Day again. Mm-hmm. Um, we're just off and running. And I love how that first morning all the camera setups are exactly the same uh-huh. as they were before. Like, we're doing nothing different, which makes me think, like, first of all, this probably wasn't that hard of a movie to shoot. Um, at least for the a- for the actors, it was probably very difficult because mm-hmm. they had to go through all these different incarnations of a scene, um, you know, in one setup, basically. Um, and that was probably difficult. I, I do sort of, um, just looking at the movie, I'm assuming that, they they filmed all those sequences in a row. Like when they're filming the Groundhog Day coverage, that's probably all a series of scenes they shot at once. Yeah. So I hope they at least filmed them chronologically all in a row so yeah. that they could use <laughs> the fact that they have to do this over and over and over again. Yeah, yeah. So at least he could get more visibly frustrated on screen and it wouldn't be a problem. <laughs> yeah, hopefully, hopefully. I mean, and if they didn't film them all in a row, then they don't know how to schedule a movie. <laughs> um, that would be dumb, guys. Come on, Harold, or whoever your first AD is. <laughs> um, but yeah, he, uh, he 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 he. Like I said, it's the same. Uh, it's the same sort of setups. He goes through, and he, he's not really ready to accept what's happening yet. Oh God, I'm doing this again. So and just just for the the two people who haven't seen it or at least aren't aware of the concept. So it's the same day for him, but for everyone else, they don't know that the day's been repeated. Oh it's, yeah, he's yeah. the only one with knowledge of this. Yeah. Everyone else is ex- acting exactly the same way. Yeah. If if he were to put in, it's think of it like a everybody's just become sort of a black box. If he puts in the same input, then they give him the same output. Mm-hmm. Um, they're all gonna say the same stuff. Which I was talking with uh, with my girlfriend last night uh, or, or two nights ago when we watched the movie, just about the fact that like this is the greatest recipe ever for breeding a sociopath. <laughs> like. You've got no reason to believe there's a consciousness in any of these other meat bags walking around. <laughs> like, you are the only conscious being. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, if I were stuck in a time loop, I would absolutely go on just the craziest murder spree. <laughs> like, because who gives a shit? Sure. Like, everybody's going to be there tomorrow. Your actions have no consequences. <laughs> Which I love that this movie didn't really seem to look down on that. Yeah. Like, there, there are messages that. about him becoming a better person, but it it's just sort of treated differently as though it's just because he's bored yeah of the exciting parts <laughs> yeah like he he obviously has no reason to think that there that there is a soul staring back at him from any of these people <laughs> nothing he does matters so <laughs> fuck it and yeah actually harold ramus in interviews has said they purposely like shied away from showing like him going on a kill crazy rampage through puxatawney but it happened like he had a couple of weeks where he was just like how can i just maximize the amount of damage i do to this town because fuck it like what 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 would you how long do you think it would take you to get to like like if, if you lived this sunday how many sundays would it take before you let just left across the table and choked the life out of me because you would and it's fine that you would right but yeah i mean it, it's more about certainty <laughs> of you know like is it is the number five days in a row where you're pretty sure it'll just keep happening yeah that's like, a good question i mean as soon as you get into like prison worthy territory then you want to be pretty sure yeah yeah you do want to be sure you're definitely stuck in an infinite buddhist time loop um, i don't think juries buy that shit <laughs> God, what if the formula for like getting out of the time loop wasn't like live in the now? It was actually just kill a. It demands human sacrifice. Oh God, I'm stuck in the Aztec time loop, not the Buddhist one. That would be horrible. Uh, um, so what is it? Two months before you're choking the life out of me? Three? Uh, yeah, we go with that. Okay, two months. That's fine. That's fine. It would take me six weeks, but whatever. Uh, <laughs> I'm living on the edge. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Yeah. So the first day, um, I forget. I mean, the first few days, he just seems to be getting increasingly kind of uh, angry. Um, <laughs> like it, it's uh, uh, no. The first thing he does is uh, he like goes to a doctor that day. He goes to Doctor Harold Ramis, mm-hmm. um, who sends him to a therapist who has the greatest line of any therapist ever. Oh, you know, I mostly uh, you know treat depression that kind of thing. I have an alcoholic now. I love. I have an alcoholic now. <laughs> That's I actually my notes. I just have. I have an alcoholic now. <laughs> ha. <laughs> um, and then I I actually. Uh, 
he th- at that point he just sort of starts treating the town as his playground that's kind of the first thing he does right because mm-hmm. i know like um we see all these different things he's doing and i i wrote in my notes like i don't think these are consecutive days that uh i think the bowling alley trip because he goes bowling at one point he just starts blowing off the the news thing and just right. like i'm just gonna go do stuff um and i think the bowling alley like i felt like that was probably like day 40 ish yeah, they. I read about this a little bit. Apparently, in early drafts, it was much clearer that it had been like tens of thousands of days, and uh, <laughs> and I, I can't remember exactly what they said. But in different interviews and stuff since, I think they said maybe it's I don't know ten years or so of days. I heard the final draft. The, the final word is he lives about ten years, mm-hmm. um, which is enough definitely to drive one to insanity. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. Like he's he's a madman now. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I think the early draft was like he spent ten thousand years in a time loop. He should have done an Inception tie-in. <laughs> um, He's stuck in the whatever the the, the fugue or whatever that shit is called. Um, yeah, the underrealm. Yeah. I don't know. I hate that concept. Like I, I liked I liked Inception, but I didn't like the like. And then there's like triple dreams. And you're like, Fuck you. <laughs> this is a stupid idea. <laughs> um, like you made a cool movie out of it, but that's a stupid idea. Well. Wow. <laughs> um, exponential growth yeah whatever um <laughs> you're like dreaming in a dream man it's so like college freshman i just can't stand it <laughs> it's, you think it's like the movie version of do we see the same blue it's totally the movie right. version of do we see the same blue oh <laughs> bugs me um anyway that, that, was, that was nothing this so it, it does feel like sort of the if you try and break it into traditional acts this has like the longest second act of any movie ever. It's like ten minutes of him getting used to it. There's like two minutes at the end of it of yeah. it's over, and then most of in the middle is sort of figuring out what's going on and yeah. getting used to it. <laughs> well, I think Act Three. Well, I'll get to what I think Act Three is in right. a second. But I, I, the first stage, I think, is just him kind of going playground. Sure. Um, this is probably the stage. The end of this stage is when he killed all the people, um, and <laughs> because at the end of that, he. Uh, he kind of gets uh, the end of that is the car chase thing the the bowling alley around mm-hmm. day 40 is when he uh he's hanging out with those two drunks in the bowling alley and then he takes their car and just goes on a crazy like car chase and that's when you see like the playground mentality getting a little destructive like you know <laughs> he's, grand theft auto ish it gets a little gta and, like <laughs> who here hasn't for those of you who've played a gta game like who here hasn't like put in the code to get the tank and just driven down the street like <laughs> just running people down until the cops finally kill you like we've all been there i had a specific spot in liberty city where i knew i could like hole up and like just get a little clock tower about right it. right um but that's actually a great analogy because you know in, in grand theft auto why don't we feel bad about just you know gunning down pedestrians in grand theft auto because we know they're not actual people right there's no conscience consciousness there so as soon as you take that away it's lock and load time man Mm -hmm. um and you see that the consequences are invisible that like the person whose feelings you hurt yesterday has no memory of it yeah so like every day it's a reminder that what you do is completely irrelevant yeah exactly so that that i think like after the car chase that's the unseen murder spree part um and then (laughs) was the the, suicide montage before the car theft the the suicide montage is after um probably the highlight of the film (laughs) yeah um he uh he also that scene is the first time he's like nice at all Mm -hmm. um because he 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 shows a little bit of in that there's a spark of compassion for other people like he's not being an egocentrist like at the beginning so sure he's taking this to a really destructive place but he is also kind of he's not noticing other people quite yet but he is breaking down his own notions of who he is Mm -hmm. and he that that matters to him less his entitlement does um and that's interesting and then after that it uh it starts getting fun for him um (laughs) and then he uh i have i don't know what this means he's inspiring until andy mcdowell quotes walter scott um she say, she she says like a really uh, I, I don't know you, you guys know you saw the movie don't worry about it <laughs> um, oh yeah and this is the part where he starts using his like foreknowledge to start getting laid right like <laughs> oh that's great where he, he he basically he goes up to a girl in the diner asks her her name asks her where she went to high school and asks her uh, who she had uh, uh, her senior year English teacher and then when he wakes up the next day same day um he (laughs) finds her that morning at the groundhog day celebration and then pretends to be like a long lost high school friend (laughs) and just like knows everything about her because he asked her the other day you know and 
you get it. Um, and then he bangs her. Because <laughs> <laughs> you would too, guys. You totally would. Um, and that's when he kind of... That, that's the first time we see him like figuring out that this could be an advantage. Like, wait, I also... Uh, sure everything's the same but i also know what's going to happen Mm -hmm. so i can like spend days doing recon and then you know kind of we're gonna break it out that way and that was that was a cool idea like and that's when he starts thinking he can kind of shortcut his way to happiness like oh wait i can just use this and manipulate people to kind of get what i want and they don't care because they're none the wiser right um you have infinity to hone your skills yeah infinite amount of time which is how he learns ice sculpting (laughs) (laughs) and it's cool um and then he uh he he dresses in a costume just for no reason at some point Mm -hmm. um he tells some girl they were going to a costume party um (laughs) remember that um, yeah, I mean the the I thought the movie played out pretty well in terms of what you'd probably do. Yeah, like you know what? I'm just gonna dress as the man with no name today. <laughs> <laughs> I just feel like that. That's that's <laughs> this is what I'm going to do. Um, and then after that, uh, he get he kind of gets a goal, which is betting Rita. Mm-hmm. And then we get the next kind of stage after. So we had uh, we had despair. Where we had a uh, we had sort of panic then we had the playground mentality we had i can use my psychic powers to get laid (laughs) and now we have i can use my psychic powers to bed rita Mm -hmm. which is this part i didn't there was something i really didn't like about the movie um that like he can use these the the basic like you know ask somebody what uh their interests are on day one and then you know go on day two and pretend you already know these things Uh to bang all these chicks but it doesn't work on rita why <laughs> like why not you know like what's so special about this broad mm-hmm. um yeah I, I i think he should have if it worked on everybody else it should have worked on her mm-hmm. yeah, you think all. there should have been more problems early on or it just should have worked it just should have worked like oh, okay. it should have worked and he should have woken up the next day and been like okay well i can because that's even more interesting is like if he's pursuing something meaningful later <laughs> yeah like oh yeah i did use you as you know my fuck toy for like a year and a half <laughs> i mean uh, that could have been implied <laughs> yeah maybe well he just keeps slapping her or she just keeps <laughs> <laughs> whole different movie that's definitely a, a cut scene <laughs> oh god <laughs> Groundhog Day, the fuck dungeon years. <laughs> yeah, it's the second podcast today. I've used the word fuck dungeon. <laughs> <laughs> On a related note, check out our sister podcast, Phil. Um, so yeah. Uh, he keeps basically he keeps going on this one date trying to craft the ideal date with Andy McDowell and I love the last time we see him do it where he gets kind of manic and weird about it Mm -hmm. and desperate because like (laughs) there's this like at the end of the date they make a snowman and they get in a snowball fight with some kids and he knows the kids are going to be there and uh, he starts like just sort of parroting the same stuff he's like I've always thought about adopting what about you oh look there's some kids (laughs) like we're having such a great time right (laughs) and it's like insanity and desperation and really really cool (laughs) I really liked that well, much like GTA, I imagine if you're trying the same goal over and over again, there's the point where it doesn't work and you're like, well, fuck it. I'll just go on a rampage now and try again tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, which, which which is exactly what he does here. Because this mm-hmm. following the betting Rita stage of the, the movie is the existential despair stage. Like, nothing matters. I want this to be over. Like, I don't care if I ever get back to my life. I've given up hope with that. I think this is like year, year three, year four mm-hmm. of all this. Um, so he's like, you know what? Um, now I'm going to uh, start trying to kill myself. <laughs> so what's your favorite? Uh, what's your favorite suicide? I mean, the nonchalance of the toaster is hard to beat. That's the best I mean, one. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, they're all pretty good, but that's, yeah. Because <laughs> there's a point. Like, how many suicides in do you think he stopped <laughs> thinking it was going to work and was just <laughs> killing himself because it was something to do? For variety. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I will tell you that, again, I probably hadn't seen this in 10 years. And, like, when I thought about that scene, which I obviously remember, it was the toaster. Yeah. That's like, that's the one that stuck out. <laughs> dead eye. Done plugging this thing, <laughs> taking it upstairs. and like, this isn't going to do anything. I'm just going to wake up again. But, you know, it gets me through one of these presumably infinite days. <laughs> right? Oh, God, it's great. Uh, and then he... Uh, he, he, he finally... I think the last one... Is the last one the groundhog? Or is the first yeah. one the ground? Okay. Because I'm pretty sure the, the truck exploding like is a fade out transition kind of thing to uh, a different yeah, part yeah, of the yeah. movie. Because, um, yeah, then he, he basically gets it in his head that somehow the groundhog has magical powers. 
because you'd try that at some point. And uh, he he kidnaps the groundhog and drives off a cliff with it. And uh, yeah, his car explodes. His truck explodes. And uh, then he wakes up and it's the same day again. Yep. It just has no consequences. <laughs> Fuck. Um and then uh, the, one of the things I noticed at this point is like we keep kind of cutting into we're not watching him wake up every day. So so Ramus seems to be kind of deliberately making it hard for us to count the days and just mm-hmm. kind of making it feel more and more like uh, everything's blurring together. Like he has a number of scenes where he takes uh, Rita to a coffee shop. And so, you know, after we've seen him, them kind of sit down and have that whole scene, we kind of cut in just in the middle of a conversation at the coffee shop. And I don't know about you, but it made me feel like, yeah, he's done this dozens of times. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was really cool. Yeah, yeah. It definitely, I, I thought the movie, um, it had a pretty good underlying current of what you could fill in if you got creative. Yeah. Like, they didn't specifically give you any number of days or anything, so you can let your mind run wild with the scenario. Yeah, yeah. Um, and yeah, it, it, it this movie could have gone a lot worse than it did. And, uh, <laughs> not, and I don't mean in quality of the film, I mean the scenario. Yes. Like, it could have gotten... You know, a little dungeony. <laughs> <laughs> Just kept slapping her, was that what you said? Yes. <laughs> what, if, what if there was one day where he's like, I'm not going to talk. I'm just going to hit everyone in the face that I see. Like man, woman, or child. I'm just going to beat them. <laughs> and that's, I'm just going to be Fisty McGee. <laughs> I don't know if I want that, that was, name. That was another day. <laughs> that was a whole different day. <laughs> Yeah, he because uh, he, he he alludes to all these different things. Like there's there's that scene where he and Andy McDowell he finally tells her because um, there's that great scene in the coffee shop where he's like I think I'm God. Mm-hmm. Um, like and then he just starts pointing to everybody and he knows everything about them and he has that that uh, thing like maybe God's just been around for a really long time <laughs> and that's how he knows everything, mm-hmm. um, which I loved. And then uh, he gets Andy McDowell to stay with him like past midnight and they uh, they uh, throw cards into a hat and he says something like Yeah, you know how, how long to take you to get good at this oh, five six months <laughs> yeah, four or five hours a day for like six months and so there was a six month period where all he did was just like he's just in purgatory yeah it's the I'm... saddest thing in the world <laughs> well in that diner scene like it's so clear that not only does he know some of these people's stories it's he knows all of them and all off the top of his head like just sort of feeding the idea of guess how long he's been doing this kind yeah of, yeah every single person he's formed a profound connection with <laughs> all of these human beings over and over now do you think he's got like well i guess he can't have dossiers because they disappear at the end of every day right. so it's gotta all be in his head yeah, I mean, I guess it's just like a TV show that he's seen that many times and like yeah. have the ability to follow that character and that character and that character and that character. You know, I'm starting to think 10 years is kind of conservative, right? <laughs> like, <laughs> I think it might have been like 10,000 maybe a little because at 10,000, like you just be a said, gibbering madman. I think they said 10,000 iterations was sort of the... So 10,000 days? Yeah. Okay. Um... So that would be like thirty years. That'd be like thirty years. I could buy thirty years. God, that's so (laughs) chilling. Uh, And I love how when he starts explaining how he's God, like there's nothing of the old Phil Connors ego to it. Because if the old Phil Connors from the beginning of the movie had said like, "Oh, I'm God now," Mm -hmm. like there would be like a "Hey, guess look look at me," or it would be almost like an undercurrent of whining to that. I did. I thought that that scene. was the perfect emphasis on why Bill Murray works really well. Hmm. Of I sort of as you were saying earlier, uh, like with Vince Vaughn as an example, like if you had Jim Carrey in this role or something like that, like doing a liar liar shtick, yeah. like people could have gone manic or funny or powerful, but he's trying to convey like as you're saying the sense of power that he knows all these things and then he's in charge. But also the the melancholy of the fact that he's been telling her. I mean, it's probably the hundredth time he's told her. Oh God! And so it's just the I depression. Didn't even think about that. Yeah. So that he wouldn't be having fun with it. Yeah. It would probably be the shortest way that he knows he can explain it where someone can follow it. Yeah, because he's tried all the other ways already. God, that's the saddest thing. So that's why I think his performance works so well at it, because he, he really manages to get across sort of yeah. like the the confidence in that he can name all these things off, but he's not excited about it, et cetera, yeah. et cetera. Yeah, and it's it's interesting because we see how far he's come from the guy he was at the beginning of the movie, but he's still 
isn't where he needs to be. Mm-hmm. And so many character arcs now in, in, in modern films are just point A to point B, mm-hmm. especially in like, you know, blockbuster type filmmaking. I mean, I rail a lot about the standard superhero origin story, which is like, <laughs> I'm either not assertive or um, I'm an egomaniac. And at the end, um, I'm the opposite of whatever, <laughs> yeah. whichever one of those I was. I have to learn the thing I wasn't. Yeah, I have to learn the <laughs> thing I wasn't. And that's it. That's all you get. But here, like, he, if he had stopped being stuck in the time loop at that moment, he would still be a profoundly changed person. Mm-hmm. Um, just because he'd look at all these people and know that there was a, like, a biography behind every other human being around him. Um, but he still doesn't know what he needs to know to get out. Also, in terms of point A to point B, like they did a good job of making him a jerk, but he, it it didn't seem like he was at a crux where he's losing his humanity. Yeah. Like it wasn't that this process happened when he was, you know, foreclosing someone's house, you know, in winter or whatever. He wasn't scrooging it up. Yeah, no. it was just an incidental sort of transformation that happened on this day. Yeah, I mean, I, I I'm I always shy away from using the word kafka-esque to describe stuff because of how overused it is but i think this might be what he was talking about Uh like no one day this just i mean it actually what it feels like to me is uh like almost like south american magical realism type stuff Mm -hmm. like those stories are full of like and then this just happened to a guy one day oh right like (laughs) and then his ketchup bottle started singing hymns (laughs) like shit doesn't always have a reason guys um have you seen a schizopolis uh no i haven't it is a wacky insane movie like a soderbergh film school type experiment yeah but there's one thing in it where it's uh it's soderbergh is sort of sitting at an office desk and he just crumples up a piece of paper and he throws it into his wastebasket and there's like a little fanfare <laughs> and like he clearly hears it but doesn't know where it came from yeah <laughs> and i just love little sequences like that like yeah. we, we were sort of talking i think before we recorded of there aren't enough movies of just like let's show you a character and then something fucks up something fucked up happens yeah like how they deal with it (laughs) yeah we don't need to focus on the why like we don't we don't because there was actually i read an early draft of this script he had uh they explained why this was happening to him oh really Uh, yeah it was apparently in like a jealous ex-lover cast a witchcrafty spell on him Hmm. and i am so glad they took that out oh i agree like it would have been terrible because then it's just like oh i gotta find this bitch you know (laughs) and do something and then like he'd probably find her and like she's the only one who knows what's happening um and she's stuck in the time loop too or some stupid crap like that no it just happened right and then it stopped um and (laughs) and that's it you know uh so he uh yeah suicidal on we and then we get like the 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 i'm god editing from day to day and I guess after that is when he uh, kind of goes into what I call self-betterment mode. And is like, okay, he seems to realize, okay, like I have these godlike powers. I'm going to focus on trying to make everybody's lives better. So now he's at least outwardly focused. Like I'm going to try and eliminate the suffering of others to kind of pull it back to Buddhism. Is it sort of like the ghost approach in movies? People are like, oh, I must have unfinished business or something. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think that's what he's kind of getting at. Okay, well, I guess I'll I'll try and get to the Scrooge point. Right. Um, and, you know, it's not like a, a... It's not selfishly motivated. Like, he does seem to really have compassion for these people because, like I said, I think he gets that, like, there's a biography to all these humans around him. Um, and he... Uh, he starts like i think this is where we see him like uh oh yeah he he like befriends the homeless guy that he sees every day oh yeah and the homeless guy dies um and so he like goes and becomes a doctor because like, <laughs> he's got all the time and uh, i think he's also taking piano lessons at this point mm-hmm. so this is when he like becomes like crazy super genius guy <laughs> he's like an amazing piano player he can he can ice sculpt and he uh he has an encyclopedic knowledge of medical science <laughs> And I love that he can't save the homeless guy. Sorry, bro. Um, (laughs) You have to die so the movie can be good. Um, Because at this point, you know, again, to just hammer the whole Buddhism thing over the head, like he learns like, oh, wait, suffering is inevitable. Mm -hmm. Like I can't stop everybody from suffering. You know, I can, you know, either save the kid from falling out of the tree or I can make sure that these people get married. Um, a young Michael Shannon and his little blonde. Did you? Did you? <laughs> I didn't. It? It's fucking Michael Shannon. That's awesome. Yeah. I'll have to check it out. Yeah, he, he totally like gets General Zod hitched. <laughs> um, yeah, it was uh, it was cool. It would be great if Terrence Stamp showed up too. <laughs> <laughs> Just 
Or if just Zod showed up in the middle of it. Uh, that'd be crazy. Uh, it was his fault. <laughs> yeah, if it was just all like crypt, crypt, crazy Kryptonian science. It'd be kind of an inversion of... Uh, did you ever read uh, the Alan Moore Superman story for the man who has everything? I don't think so. Oh, it's terrifying. <laughs> it's uh, Superman's birthday. Okay. And uh, the I, I, I'm more familiar with the Justice League episode that's kind of a recreation of it. But basically, Mongol shows up in the Fortress of Solitude and gives him a present, which is this. It's some kind of flower called like the Black Lotus or something. Mm-hmm. And it's this flower that attaches to your chest and then sucks the life out of you while giving you a psychic vision of the thing you most want. So like Superman wakes up. And he's on Krypton, and he's an adult, and he's, like, married, and he's got a little Kryptonian son, and his dad works for the Science Council, mm-hmm. and he, like, works on a farm on Krypton, and it's just everything he ever wanted. And the only way for him to, like, defeat Mongol is to acknowledge that none of this is real. He has this moment where he looks at his son, and he says, I'm sorry, I don't think you're real. <laughs> wow. And it's just heartbreaking. Because, <laughs> like, it, 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 it presumes that he's lived an entire lifetime in this illusion. You know, see also, uh, did you ever see the Next Generation episode, The Inner Light? Uh-huh. Yeah, I've got, I've, I've, I guess I've got this backlog <laughs> of just, like, people living entire illusory lifetimes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, dude. Captain Picard, of all the characters in fiction, has to probably just carry around the most fucked up shit of anybody. Like, there's the whole like I baggage. was a Borg <laughs> thing. Yeah, he's got some baggage. Uh-huh. There's the whole I was a Borg thing. You know about that, right? Uh-huh. He gets, for those of you who don't know, he gets assimilated into a horrible robot hive mind collective and then is kind of responsible for killing like 35,000 people. (laughs) And then he just has to live with that. Um, And then in the inner light, he gets zapped by this alien probe and wakes up and his name's like Fagin or something like that now. And he's got a wife and he plays the Nausicaan flute, this little flute that he likes to play. Mm -hmm. And um, he lives an entire lifetime. Like, he's, he's, like, in his early 20s, he marries this woman, he has, like, children, and he uh, is a scientist, and he starts, like, feeling, he starts getting, uh, seeing evidence that tectonic stresses are about to blow this planet apart. Mm-hmm. He's like, what are we going to do? You know, he has friends that, like, die. I think one of them actually might be played by Brian Doyle Murray, an odd carryover from Groundhog Day. Because um, <laughs> Brian Doyle Murray, Bill, Bill Murray's brother, plays the uh, the head of, the guy who, like, runs the Puxitani Phil, uh, like, uh, ceremony. Oh really? That's uh, yeah, his the guy who reads the proclamation. Oh, that's that's funny. I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah. Um, so then he he lives his whole lifetime, and then at the end of the whole thing, as uh, the planet's starting to break up, all his dead friends show up and say, like, "Okay, we're citizens of a planet that lived thousands of years ago. We blew up, and we didn't want to be forgotten. So we launched this probe that just zaps people and makes them live an entire lifetime in on our planet, so that we can be remembered." He wakes up. He's on the bridge <laughs> in the Enterprise. Twenty minutes have gone by. <laughs> Now he has to live with that. Huh. That's horrible. Yeah. <laughs> like more inception a... references are around. Yeah. Um. <laughs> and then the whole thing ends with him like in his quarters on the Enterprise just playing this flute because he knows how to play a flute now because <laughs> he lived a whole lifetime on this other planet. He had a wife and children. Lost life. Yeah. There was a an Outer Limits episode like the new Outer Limits when we were kids. Like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, it was David Hyde Pierce, I think, was caught for like white collar crime or something and i'm sure i'm butchering it i haven't seen it forever but like they're they're trying out some experimental new thing for prisoners that's gonna go great and yeah of course (laughs) so he's in a chair and they put something on his head or whatever the fuck and then um the story goes on and he's in prison and it's this horrible experience and then he's in prison till death and i i think they may even execute him like they're walking him down he's got white hair and they put him in the electric chair and then of course it snaps to the first time he was in the chair and that was all like uh i think it was an experimental like 10 minutes in real time but it does that to your brain so you've experienced the punishment of jail there's a deep space nine episode to go back to star trek oh, really? about that <laughs> it opens it's so terrifying it opens with they were like on some mission and chief o'brien pissed off some alien culture mm-hmm. and they he committed a crime and uh they carried out his sentence and he basically they they, they had one of those machines a 10 minutes is 10 years machine <laughs> And he lived, uh, like, 15 years in this horrible, like, prison. And by the time, like, the crew of uh, Deep Space Nine got there to, like, 
clear up the misunderstanding, his sentence had already been carried out because <laughs> it had just been an afternoon and they just brought him home to his wife and stuff and he had oh, to God. live with this. And like they had, it was real fucked up what they did to him because he, he was stuck in this uh he was stuck in this cell. He had a cellmate and they weren't giving them enough food and his cellmate was hoarding food um to like keep them both alive and then eventually like he got too like crazy hungry and stuff and he thought that his roommate was keeping food from him and he murders his his uh, his cellmate and uh then finds this stash of food that was meant for both of them and he's like oh god what have i done and yeah that guy was an illusion like all of that <laughs> stuff like driving him to like murder so that he'd have to have that on his conscience that was just manipulation by some some alien culture like, so there are lots of crueler stories than groundhog day yes, when it comes yeah. to this the whole thing ends with him sneaking into a cargo bay pulling a phaser out of a locker and putting it in his mouth <laughs> and being talked out of it by dr bashir and like he just lives with that for the rest for the rest of the series you look at this guy who like just likes fixing stuff on deep space nine he says like you know i really like the space station because it's not like the enterprise there's always something to fix here because it's a <laughs> shitty old space station and he's just a down-to-earth guy like some beer playing darts <laughs> and he's got to walk around knowing that he killed his fucking mind cellmate yeah, that, that would be quite a bit to deal with. Yeah, it's horrible. Um, <laughs> so yeah, it could have gone worse for Phil Connors. <laughs> so where were we in the movie before we just talked about every other story where something like this happens? Um, he was becoming better. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was trying to save everybody. Like, there's the kid. I love the, like, oh, wait, I have an appointment. And he, like, runs to try and catch <laughs> the kid because he... Uh, who even... How did he find that? I guess he was just going for a walk and saw a kid fall out of a tree. He was like, I don't want <laughs> that to happen. stumbled on this dead kid and... <laughs> Made a note a few minutes earlier. Yeah. He gets there 15 minutes early. The next day, kid's still dead. And he has to keep coming back. And he's like, okay, now I know when to show up. Um, because by the end, you get the feeling that he knows every bad thing that happens that day in this town. Mm-hmm. And he somehow just figures out, like, okay, if I just chart this one course through the day, then I can maximize the number of people I save mm-hmm. um, and then get to the end. Um, so he goes into self-betterment mode. He uh, learns piano. Um, and then he's trying his hardest to fix the whole town, but he, again, he learns their suffering is inevitable. And then finally he, uh, has the moment he needs to have where he, he spends the day hanging out with Andy McDowell, um, which God knows why you do that. But... <laughs> it's a small town. <laughs> Fair enough. And, uh, he plays a badass piano solo, um, which, you know, for a guy who's learned to be selfless, he's kind of hogging the spotlight up there. <laughs> Like, these people booked this gig. Like, you're sitting in with them. Like, I, I played music for years. Like, that's not really accepted behavior. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, you're a guest when you're up there, <laughs> Phil. Uh, dial it back. Right. Um, so, yeah, he uh, he plays his badass solo, and then uh, apparently he runs into... Oh, yeah, my favorite character in the whole thing that we haven't even talked about. Ned. Ned no, Ryerson. Ned Ryerson, yes. Uh, <laughs> Love that guy. Uh, my favorite one. So Ned Ryerson, he runs into every day. Ned Ryerson that he apparently went to high school with tries to sell him insurance. And my favorite one is the day when he finally figures out how to get Ned to leave him alone, mm-hmm. which he just like <laughs> hugs him really tight and says, what are you doing right now? Can you cancel? <laughs> and Ned just runs away. Yeah, it's a good one. Yeah, it's great. <laughs> and uh, Do you know that actor's name? Uh, Stephen Tobolowski. Oh, that's right. So yeah. the mainstay of the uh, Christopher Guest and stuff. I oh, yeah, love when he pops up. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Him, him, he and Eugene Levy. You know, he and Eugene <laughs> Levy have just gotten shit canned in like <laughs> Omaha, like one time. Mm. Like they have a story. Those two, <laughs> a Bender story. Oh, totally. They totally have like a, an Omaha Bender story. Um, them and like I don't know, like Michael McKean took his pants off in the middle of the bar or something. <laughs> they got the wigs on. They got the wigs might as well. On. Yeah. Fucking, uh, fucking Harry Sure is just like blowing a guy in the bathroom. <laughs> you're around people for uh, years, like you're gonna get up to some shit. I have to do Spinal Tap someday. I love that movie so much. Oh yeah, we should do Spinal Tap. <laughs> yeah, that movie. My favorite thing about Spinal Tap is that every band in the early '80s that watched it thought it was about them personally. <laughs> Like there's there's a great set of interviews with like you know Iron Maiden and Judas Priest and Aerosmith and all those like those kind of bands and they were all like yeah we thought that someone had followed us around like, every like the whole like getting lost in the back like uh-huh. that happened to every single one of them that's awesome yeah it's uh it's close to home man it's close to home um, 
So yeah, he plays the badass solo. We, he runs into Ned Ryerson for the last time. We find out that he bought a ton of insurance. Um, and then he uh, says the thing he finally has to say with, uh, with, with Rita. And I love... Well, the thing he finally says to her is, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I don't care if tomorrow happens. I'm happy right now. Mm-hmm. And then he, you know, wakes up and it's the next day. And he's finally out of the horrible time loop. Mm-hmm. And uh, I love that. I love that it's not you just had to find true love. It wasn't love that saved him. It was, you know, figuring out just how to live in the moment and be happy. It wasn't just becoming selfless. Like, it was all these different things that had to happen to this guy. Mm -hmm. And we get to watch every single one happen to him. And so much fucking growth to this dude. Yeah. Like, so, so cool. Well, I guess sort of in the the spirit of the podcast, one thing I noticed, um, sort of knowing where the whole thing goes... Is I, I thought the setup was phenomenal. Like there are a lot of great little things where like uh, I love that Andy McDowell knew to get him a room at a nicer place. Yeah. And that he was sort of talking down to them about getting it. Like you yeah. just learn so much about like who he is in the dynamic and that she's sort of the nice one and that you know, they it doesn't seem like they hate him, but but you know who everyone is and what yeah. all the details are, and that he spends the the first night of Groundhog Day desperately trying to get out of that town because he wants the day to be over. Yeah. Like a yeah. sort of a nice setup to the, the, the bookend that you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I mean, and it's, it, it so easily could have become this cloying kind of Capra esque sentimentality, like going, Oh look, simple, so, small town folk really are the greatest. And like, <laughs> all you had to do was find true love and settle down and everything would be great. But like, it's, it so consistently refuses to take the easy way out. Mm-hmm. Um, and that that's the most impressive thing about this movie to me. Um, was there anything about it you didn't like? Um, Besides Annie McDowell? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I didn't hate her. It's just... I don't know why we pick on her so much. She just, she smiles and she's got her little accent and she just, she makes a target of herself is what she does. She just feels like sort of the template blank space in movies from that era. Yeah. Where like... Wasn't she in Michael too? Michael. The John Travolta the Angel, Angel one? movie? Yeah. yeah. I think that was her. Wasn't she multiplicity? Hold on. Let's, we're going to do a little so IMDb like the, stalking of Andy McDowell here. <laughs> There's guy who crazy shit's happening to and Andy McDowell. <laughs> Andy McDowell. What are you in? Uh, filmography. What have you been up to lately? Uh, she's in a movie called Mother's Day. Uh, she's in a TV movie called None of This Matters. <laughs> no, it's called Cedar Cove. I was just saying None of This Matters. Um, Let's see. Let's just go back. Oh, she was in the Footloose remake. Good for her. Huh. Um, she keeps busy. She was in Multiplicity. She was in Multiplicity the same year she was in Michael. Um, oh, wow. Yeah. And then she was in a movie called Bad Girls. God knows how she found herself in there. <laughs> she was in Muppets in Space. Uh, yeah, of course she's in Muppets in Space. Yeah, it's quite she a career. Would, <laughs> she would be... Oh, she was in Hudson Hawk, too. Um... Oh, and she was in Sex, Lies, and Videotape. She was great in Sex, Lies, and Videotape. That's I completely true. I haven't forgot seen about that, that in a long time. Yeah. I love Sex, Lies, and Videotape, man. That's a fucking great movie. Is she just like the other main girl? Uh, she's the main girl. Oh, wow. Yeah. Oh, she's wow. the one. Because Sex, Lies, and Videotape, there's like four characters. Yeah. There's like James Spader, um, the dad from the OC. <laughs> um, <laughs> or McDowell. San Giacomo. <laughs> uh, sure, whatever. Um, and, uh, and then some broad. And... Uh, <laughs> Laura Sangiacoma, I think is her name. Uh, well, shit. I mean, I've got the app open. I may as well look it up. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's Laura Sangiacomo. Um, oh, and Peter Gallagher is the name of the dad from the OC. Let's, uh, let's give him his name. The guy who isn't Harry Hamlin, no matter how hard I try. I'm sure he breathed out a sigh of relief that he didn't miss the uh, the coverage <laughs> the on our show. Yeah. yeah. God knows. No, we're, we're tastemakers. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I love Sex, Lies, and Videotape because it's just like a little chamber play. Like, mm-hmm. you could totally stage Sex, Lies, and Videotape. Oh, absolutely. You yeah. could stage Groundhog Day, for that matter. <laughs> um, it'd be bigger. But uh, you could do, like, an R-Town staging a Groundhog Day. Could you imagine someone doing eight shows a week of a show that's primarily doing the same scenes over and over again? Oh, God. <laughs> I kind of want to drive an actor to suicide. I know. <laughs> Let's write a play of Groundhog Day. More dangerous than Spider-Man. <laughs> <laughs> God, it'd be, if it was a musical, like, every number would just be the same song reprised. Didn't didn't I read they considered a musical? Did they? I thought I read a factoid oh, that like it was God. considered, and then one of the creators said that it was it was no. Too- this is a horrible idea. <laughs> well, they they made some joke about how like it would be redundant or something like that. Yeah, no, I'm glad that didn't happen. Yeah. I don't, I don't want to watch that. <laughs> 
I just want this movie to be this movie, and I want to seal it in amber for all time. I do feel like this is something they could easily fuck up with a remake. Yeah, like, it, don't do anything to it. <laughs> like, everything about it is perfect now. Like, don't, just don't touch it. Like, because you're going to cast <laughs> Vince Vaughn in it. And I like Vince, excuse me, I like Vince Vaughn. He's fine. Mm-hmm. But, you know. Not for that. <laughs> not for this, no. I mean, everybody's got some stuff that they're not proud of on their resume, interns. Uh, um, <laughs> who can do that? Who can, who could, who would you cast in the remake? Yeah. Oh, who would you? Fuck. I don't know. That's tough, man. Um, I do Jeff Bridges. Because <laughs> it would be fun. <laughs> you know, I was actually thinking I'd cast Ben Affleck. I could see it. I think I think Affleck has this, has this in him. Because um, Matt Damon's too nice. Yeah, like, that's I don't, true. I, I, I don't buy <laughs> Matt buy Damon. You buy douche Affleck. Well, yeah. I mean, we also have rats. <laughs> you know, he likes to have sex in an uncomfortable place. <laughs> throw someone against a wall, we'll be set. <laughs> yeah, it's great. He does like to throw people against walls. Well, he's an imposing fellow. You know, he's, he's not small. Um, I mean, I guess the, I don't know if I could buy Affleck at the end. I mean, the thing that Bill Murray brings to this that you kind of. Mm-hmm. Um, alluded to like the phoenix part i don't know yeah <laughs> um like the the thing that that bro murray brings to this is the the sort of melancholy mm-hmm. right? and there's just completely believable sad sackness at the end and the way he goes to that place of like it's it's beyond despair like that scene where he's reciting everyone's biography and saying what's going to happen he's already had the long dark night of the soul right like we didn't see that we didn't need to <laughs> we're at acceptance we he, already <laughs> yeah we're at acceptance i guess we did see that when he killed himself over and over but i maintain <laughs> that like by suicide three he was just bored like <laughs> suicide wouldn't be at the bottom of my list no <laughs> no especially like you know once once i once i'm in like year six and i'm like if this is all there is now i'm done like yeah i'd try it once and then i'd wake up the next day and i'd be like oh wait well, I guess that's another toy I have to play with. Well, like, well, God closed a door and opened a window. <laughs> like, I already kind of exhausted the possibilities of murder. I guess this is what I'll do for a while. <sighs> It'd be horrible. I, I don't know. I, Jeff Bridges could pull it off. Um, he's lost a little faith in my eyes with the whole RIPD thing. Um, I don't think that, <laughs> that doesn't look so fucked up that you want to see it. Nah, it does not look good, man. Oh, like halfway through the trailer, I was just like, I'm so dumbfounded. I have to see this. It just seems like it. You can tell it's one of those like, you know, movie by committee sort of studio things that kind of come out in the summer, like the lesser ones. Uh-huh. Um, but the committee was all recently concussed is the best <laughs> way I can explain it. Um, yeah, it, it doesn't look good. I don't think it's going to be good. Um, also, like, I had such high hopes for Ryan Reynolds, and then I saw Green Lantern, and Green Lantern is my wow. favorite superhero, and it's so bad. Yeah, I never it's saw it. It's such an abysmal film. <laughs> oh, God, in heaven. Is uh, it largely his fault? No. It's the movie's fault. It's the script's fault, really. <laughs> um, the script is just god-awful. Mm-hmm. Um, and just some of the choice, Like, the fact that his whole costume is is VFX. And it, even his mask. His mask is CGI'd onto his face. Mm-hmm. What? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I well, got nothing. Yeah, no, you should you should watch that at some <laughs> point. It's, it's real shitty. Um, yeah. So Groundhog Day. What else? Uh, <laughs> what else? Well, what? Uh, I don't know if I got an answer. Was there anything you didn't like? Because then we just picked on Andy McDowell. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> um, I mean, just these days. I mean, I probably would have paced it a little bit faster, but that has a lot more to do with the era than anything being wrong with it. Yeah. I mean, just sort of comedic timing. I feel like has sped up over the years. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, the and just I've seen it so many times, it's hard to tell the difference between a softball and and something that you would have never seen coming. So, yeah, yeah. So, but I mean, I, I didn't, there was no specific, like, cast member that I would have been like, that was a terrible choice that could have easily been remedied or... Yeah, yeah. I think I, I think the whole cast works. Even Chris Elliott. I like, but I, I like Chris, I like Cabin Boy. Yeah, <laughs> I <had a laughs> that, whole, that I have not seen since theaters. Oh, yeah. No, I had a whole <laughs> argument with somebody earlier today about whether or not Cabin Boy is good. It's great. <laughs> <laughs> it's fantastic. Mm-hmm. When Tim Burton produced it. Um, and it's got my <laughs> favorite work that's of... That's never 
gone wrong. <laughs> yeah, no, that's never gone terribly. But it was like '90s Tim Burton. It that's was like true. it was like right after Edward Scissorhands Tim Burton when yeah. he when he still like when he wasn't just making the same movie over and over. Right. Um, yeah, just throw just make Johnny Depp look like a woman and it'll sell tickets. <laughs> Until that finally didn't work with uh, Dark Shadows. Thank God. Right. The spell is broken. Ah, <laughs> uh, finally. Can Johnny Depp just play a guy? Can he just play not a cartoon? Like, what would you really do if you just turned on a movie and Johnny Depp, like, I don't know, he walked into, like, a store? <laughs> yeah, I, I forgot who I who I heard say it, but I did hear someone make that mark. I was like, I'm not sure he can play a dude. Yeah. Like, and he used to be able to. Yeah. He totally could back in the day. He's just a dude in Nightmare on Elm Street. Well, did you hear he he doesn't watch any of them? Really? That's what I've heard is like when he makes these bizarre choices, that's sort of like the inside joke that people around the production make is like, well, he doesn't have to watch it. What does Uh, he care? I think he's punking us. Like I I read for Lone Ranger that like uh, one of the rumors about the movie is that like he he made as a precondition of playing Tonto that he had to have a uh, bird on his head. Really? The whole movie. He was like, no, there's going to be a bird on my head. The whole movie. And I think he might be punking us. <laughs> like, I really think he might just be like, you know, I've got more money than Jesus. Let's just... Well, that's a bad example. Jesus is really poor. Um, <laughs> it's kind of one of the things about Jesus. Um, Have you been watching the, the new Arrested Development? Uh, yeah. I'm nine episodes in. Ah. Uh, uh, what was it? Um, <laughs> nobody's going to think I'm Jesus walking around in these rags. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Job. <laughs> yeah. Oh, God. Are you liking it? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I watched it all in a row. So, like, unbiased proclamations or even opinions are kind of hard to process after that. When, like, I stayed up until 9 a.m. watching it. Jesus, you did? <laughs> yeah. Ooh. That's mainlining. I feel like the it's 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 interesting that it's you know a Netflix series because it uh, seems like it's designed to be binge watched. Mm-hmm. Like it benefits from you just kind of going through all the episodes in like a day or two. Yeah. Because of all the like the the way you know they kind of rash them on the storytelling and you know, it all ends at Cinco de Cuatro um, and and all that sort of stuff. And it's sort of interesting where. A lot of people I've heard say they miss the dynamic of all the characters interacting. Well, scheduling which, of conflicts, course, right? I assume budgets and schedules are are why they went with that format. No, I read that that's that's actually oh, what happened. Oh, is yeah. like everybody was doing like movies and all kinds of other shit. So, and like I know it bothers a lot of people, but I, I have found that it gets less weird as you watch it again. I think I've I've watched it twice through, and the when you get more familiar with the new callbacks and you see them yeah. as you're watching yeah. it. It doesn't feel all as disconnected when, like, maybe walks by and you know what she was coming from and what she's going to. Yeah. So, like, it makes it feel a little more like a whole. Yeah. Whereas the first time through it with such high expectations, like, they're throwing out all these narration jokes that haven't paid off yet. Yeah. So, I feel like it'll take a while for people to have an actual opinion about it because it's not really designed to be watch it once yeah and no put it on the I'm, shelf. I'm stoked to watch it the second time for sure because mm-hmm. it's already like i can see all these little and you could see him setting it up like you don't have tobias and Lindsay arguing in the background of a scene without going over to that argument later right right you know mm-hmm. and showing us that i think tobias's story so far is my favorite one mm-hmm. i watched the one tonight uh or today where uh spoilers for the fourth season of arrested <laughs> development um, he uh, is working at Lucille 2's rehab and tries to stage the musical of the Fantastic Four. <laughs> uh-huh. And just the, the degree to which that guy is such like a horrible, putrid, selfish man. <laughs> like he really is just an awful person. Uh-huh. And it's interesting that he's so willfully ignorant of the fact that he's a bad guy. <laughs> like he really is a bad dude. Uh-huh. Um, and I love that about him. <laughs> Like, not even in, like, a traditionally self-centered way the way Job is. Like, he just, like, he thinks of himself as... His his self-image is so opposite. It's the exact opposite of who he is. First right. of all, he thinks he's straight. Um, <laughs> well, I can tell you that you'll, you should enjoy toward the end. Really? Yeah, it, it doesn't go down from where you are. Oh, that's exciting. Yeah, <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to enjoy it. Well, what I'm I can, Go ahead. No, I was just going to say, I definitely see how, how Job, like, doesn't think he's a good person. No, he totally but, doesn't. But Tobias, like, Joe probably doesn't think about it at all, whereas Tobias has considered it and thinks he's taking the right course of action. Yeah, no, he's very <laughs> he's very into himself, and he's like, I am just doing good right now. I'm going to rescue this girl's career because I know what's best for her. <laughs> no, you're a dick. <laughs> uh, talking to the universe yeah. in the second person. <laughs> yeah, it's great. <laughs> All right. Well, we're not even talking about Groundhog Day anymore, so it's probably time to wrap this up. Um, 
yeah, this has been a Refried Reviews. If you haven't watched Groundhog Day for the second time, I would definitely say, like, I want to watch this constantly now. Um, <laughs> I think it might be my favorite comedy. It's just so fucking good. Yeah, um, definitely quality. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. F- uh, be sure to check out uh, all the other great podcasts on the HotOral.com podcast network. Um, if the website's not up yet, uh, it'll be up soon. We're working on it. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, you know, you can always check out all other podcasts on uh, iTunes, like uh, the recently launched uh, People We Know with Andy Sell. It's uh, Andy Sell talking to real people about fake people. Um, real good stuff. Uh, and then for, for those of you who like uh, extremely blue uh comedy there's always the filth podcast uh for those of our under 18 uh listeners don't listen to that one (laughs) everybody over 18 listen to it um (laughs) it's fun times if you want to hear the other instance of me using the word fuck dungeon today uh just pop over to filth um in context totally makes sense (laughs) um i think it makes sense here like uh yeah he he built one of those like years three, <laughs> years three and four of full counters are gone hung day those were the fuck dungeon years uh-huh. um, yeah god building stuff would be frustrating oh, start god. from scratch every day <laughs> how sisyphian yeah yeah this highbrow shit you get sisyphian and you get fuck dungeon in one podcast this uh-huh. boulder's at the bottom of the hill and it needs to be at the top by sunfall uh, sunfall yeah i don't know what i was going for yeah we've been skyfall there. sundown skyfall. i don't know <laughs> Okay, that's that. Uh, Reef Ride Reviews, hotoral.com. Bye. Bye. Mm. Uh, I hope you don't mind that I kept saying fuck dungeon. (laughs)